0: Hello and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke and in this podcast series I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues, exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas and advice for your medical practice. In this episode we have a conversation with the general physician about systemic hypertension and based on 2017 to 2018 data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics National Health Survey, about one in three Australians over the age of 18 years, that's 34% in that population group have hypertension. This statistic tells us that at least 6 million Australians have a blood pressure above 140 systolic over 90 diastolic or have been receiving blood pressure-lowering medications. Hypertension is more common in lower-income households and amongst those from regional Australia. And controlling BP lowers the rate of CVA, coronary artery disease, chronic kidney disease, heart failure and death. Even small reductions of 1 to 2 millimetres of mercury May significantly reduce patients' cardiovascular morbidity and mortality. To guide us through a physician's approach to hypertension, we're joined in conversation by Dr. Minz Chia. He's a general physician with an interest in cardiovascular disease and chronic disease primary prevention. Please welcome Minz. So, Minz Chia, thank you very much for joining me today on Everyday Medicine. I know you've been working hard all day, so it means a lot that you've taken time out of your day to come and have a talk with me about hypertension and how we manage that and how we should approach that. I think it's a very big subject to talk about. Uh, Before we launch into that, can I ask you a little bit about your journey into medicine? How did you get here? Thank you, Luke, for inviting me for this uh, podcast. I
1: really enjoyed it. A little bit of myself, I think I'm a Malaysian-Chinese and where I have my secondary school and came over here to do my pre-VCE years as a, a Trinity Foundation course and then get straight into Melbourne Uni for the six years course with, including the uh, research years as well. So I got a double degree. So came out and where first mothership really is Eastern Health to do my internship, my basic training. And want to uh, pursue in surgical initially, and then later decided to change path into cardiology, and we have gone through Monash training later on on the more senior years, and uh, completed my uh, so sort of general medicine fellowship, and uh, sort of halfway of my cardiology training, but decided to come out to do uh, clinical heart failure, in mm-hmm. particularly on general cardiology and support the community. So and currently uh, also uh, helping out some of my surgeons to do some peri work and my heart passion is more about uh, self-arrhythmias like atrial fibrillations predominantly that were of uh, self like the risk of stroke prevention but obviously that coincide with our today's topic of hypertension is very strongly
0: yeah. yeah, I think we're really lucky to have you a, as a general physician in the area with that sort of training because in general now, most of us have gone into sort of subspecialties yeah, and there aren't correct. that many people actually um, that we can just ring up like you yeah. and say, would you please help my patient who yeah. doesn't really specifically need one exact hmm. subspecialty or another, but we want someone with a good overview. So it's really yeah. great to have great. you around. Yeah, thank you. I have a lot of like, uh, so cardiology colleagues that their intervention
1: in uh, sort of electrophysiology and Mm. also intervention and well, they are in great help doing things, but obviously they need, uh, when they come in a very more complex patient and for non-differentiated, they need someone to be through a path and then present to them so that they could actually help to fix up their coronary arteries or uh, sort of a
0: pacemaking and pacemaker. Yes, Yes. it's it's a very, very helpful thing to have. Mm. Uh, So we're we're going to talk a little bit about hypertension because it's such a key issue and, uh, you know, control of blood pressure does lower the risk of CVA, coronary artery disease, Mm -hmm. heart failure, death, kidney disease. It's such a primary thing for for, for medicine. And I was perhaps a little bit surprised to hear from the Australian Bureau of Statistics that about one in three Australians have hypertension. That was a higher figure than I thought, actually. Yes. Um, Tell us about your approach to to hypertension.
1: So, I guess hypertension, that well, I put it down to try to make it self simple and in the ABCD type of fashion, and including like when we talk about a little bit more about medication as well, Mm. it's also ABCDE as well. Yes. So, I think first thing is about accuracy. Like, what are your definitions about hypertension in a different age group? Mm. You have a patient that only 20 year old blood pressure of 140 over 90 is considered high yeah and where someone's is about 85 years old so that well your blood pressure is so 140 yes. over 85 You just say oh yeah it's all actually pretty good yes and if they not have organ dysfunction or diabetes they'll be fine i think yes. accuracy is very crucial at one point that where our gps or even our ourselves we have a, a wrong blood pressure cuff Mm. Too small, too big, or oh, it's not accurate. The patient actually have tachycardia. Not sure. Tense up. White coat hypertension. That yes. is normally most common that see us. At the same time, that while well, we actually missing a group. I'm actually sorry. Go back a little bit. That you are surprised on the on the mm. statistics. Say one in three patient mm. actually have blood pressure. Which I feel that it, that's true. Because a lot of time that we only to do sit down waiting in the GP practice in about half an hour, going to see the patient, uh, the GP, checking the blood pressure, the blood pressure is nice and stable. Where when we're on the run, we're actually in a conversation, we're running or we're doing things, our mm. brain is ticking like, so for, for different type of nature of work, physical or mental, mm. your blood pressure will be at 10 high. We always known our cardiology colleague or everyone doctors just say, oh, look, when you exercise, don't check the blood pressure. It will be high anyway. Mm. But when people are sitting there in front of desk desk uh, stressed, their blood pressure could be 160 over 100 and just without feeling any symptoms. Mm. And we're also missing a big group of people of nocturnal hypertension because we don't go to our doctors at 10 o'clock at night time. Yeah. And that's the issue. I guess accuracy is important. Normally, what I recommend that where if we are uncertain, if there are few types of blood pressure, uh, rare queries, then worthwhile to get the patient have a blood pressure machine if they mm. have it at home. So the
0: ambulatory monitoring.
1: And before the ambulatory blood pressure, or oh, just, well, just checking at just home, just checking at home, Right. or go to the chemist, just check it. Well, is that consistently mm. will be higher on mm. things, and then the next step will be ambulatory blood pressure that so, were things.
0: Right. So do you recommend that blood pressure cuff at home for? Yeah, and maybe they document the BPs over a week.
1: Exactly, for a week, in the morning and night or Mm. so, and even a week or two weeks in those. Obviously, in a time where they are not having a a, a, probably a crisis of work or like no family dynamics, Mm. just a normal day Mm. and see what's the blood pressure in the morning at night and see where we're at. And if it's always marginally high, then it's worthwhile to do an ambulatory blood pressure okay. because ambulatory blood pressure, they have a lot of false positive too because the patient attends up. How often we have our, our biceps mm. being squeezed up every mm. half an hour to tell yes. you what's your blood pressure yes. and where you're someone holding a box, they're yes. telling you that your blood pressure going to be high. A lot of people will have that so, you know, catecholamine stress that causing the blood mm. pressure is being mm. high. So, some of may not be accurate, and some patient not enjoyed it at all because at night time, not able to sleep every hour, getting a blood pressure. And I think that for clinicians or GPs, we probably worthwhile to put one on yourself, and then you're actually told it how well-experienced yes. it mm. when you have an ambulation
0: blood pressure. It's quite unpleasant, isn't it, when yeah. you're gripping, a, you get a BP of 140 around your biceps, yes. it's a bit unpleasant. Mm. Do, do you heck, give them advice when they're measuring their BP at home? Do you ask them to sit down comfortably for yes. a few minutes, Indeed. close their eyes or something like this, play some music, and then check, yeah. is that the sort of advice you give them? Yeah, normally yeah. I ask them, to show say, make
1: sure that you're comfortable putting a calf, sitting yes. in the exactly. ankle, well, reasons probably just for one minute, then before they just checked it. Right. Normally, the first reading will be accurate because every minute mm. it changed. Okay. We always oscillate in a range of us so, or so. Obviously, with some breathing exercise and all that, can make it a bit better, mm. but it's just artificially better. Yes. But
0: it's not really giving you right. a good range of it. So w- what sort of blood pressure concerns you? And and you mentioned it is age-specific, but perhaps mm-hmm. we'll take a younger patient than a slightly older patient. What sort of things are you worried about?
1: Yeah. So the blood pressure that we're for... Um, the young uh, patients are below 50, I should say, then the cut off. Mm. Your blood pressure should be around so for 125, 135, and the mm. systolic, mm. and where the diastolic should be anything below so for 85. Okay. And with any range of uh, repeatedly calling higher-than-net markers, then you need to look into some detailed history about do you have family history of blood pressure, mm. you have a family history of ischemic heart disease, all things, whatnot. And they may have already have cholesterol or... Have mm. other risk factors, then you make them make us much more concerned about whether we need to attend to it. Right. They sometimes could be just a single agent. We need, but mm. having said that, our younger groups may not be on any medication. They mm. won't be
0: compliant to it. Then mm. we'll probably have to look at lifestyle modification mm. to mm. do that. Does that make a big difference to blood pressure? Suppose they're overweight, and they lose weight, or just a coffee intake, or does yeah. that does that influence the BP by, definitely. B- definitely by several millimeters? Yeah,
1: definitely, Mm. definitely. if someone's Mm. actually was unfit or sedentary lifestyle person, if they're going out for a walk or just a run, uh, probably twice or three times a week and try to lose about half of one kilo, their Mm. blood pressure is immediately going to change because Mm. they have a much more volatile and good blood pressure control and in the younger age group, but more in the older age group, they probably have underlying hardening of vessels and things then may not budge a lot, then we may need to look into a bit more medication and investigation.
0: So, in the older patient, and over fifty is not that old, but the yeah. older patient. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking about there in terms of blood pressure? What What are your kind of red flags yeah. My
1: kind of probably about one forty over ninety or so. Okay. At, well, one, one point I'm more worried about the diastolic because, as we know, our diastolic pressures was very narrow in the just mm. of our uh, numbers. So, you will have people have a blood pressure of like sixty to 80 were okay. But when you have 90 to 110, that is a very small sort of a, uh, sort of a window and where there's significant coronary dissection, aortic uh, of, uh, sort of dissection, or even migraines or headaches, and they're mm. all coming from disolic hypertension. Okay. And far more common that actually at uh, more obese patients and younger patients, they are stressed, they mm. tensed up most of the time, and that led to it.
0: Okay. So what, what, we've now got measurements and you've got some concerns. Do you then launch into a specific set of investigations? What sort of things could you yeah. normally recommend? Yeah. So normally I think that we're for a basic so for a screen, for someone
1: who you pick up a, a hypertension, yeah. obviously detailed history, talk about is there any cardiovascular risk factors, yes. any family history and things and whatnot. But I normally check the urinalysis, make mm. sure that they don't have a proteinuria mm. or make sure they don't have blood in there of yes. the urine. Uh, obviously do their simple FBE, they're telling me whether this patient have secondary polycythemia or any blood and things of course mm. At the same time that well uh, a simple set of UNEs, they're yes. telling me whether there's some component of renal impairment, mm. whether this a chicken or is an egg. Yes. I've thought yes. Of top things. And then where and further also give give you a bit of ballpark that what kind of agent you should use. You sometimes mm. already have some electrolyte imbalance supposedly yes. for like, hypokalemia mm. and you're thinking of mm, is this patient having a sort of hyperaldosterone syndrome and yes. that can cause hypertension then you might be thinking you drill yourself into what, mm. what kind of screening we're going to get mm. some mm. adrenal look into and things whatnot
0: mm. and
1: then obviously you're looking at your ECG mm. it's a basic test or a chest x-ray whether there's a cardiomegaly or whether the patient have already have ECG equivalent LVH mm. or be straining on mm. the heart, then telling you mm, something mm. else is n- more than just essential hypertension. Is there something else yes.
0: yes picked up. Would you progress to an echocardiogram, or only if there are sort of more features of left ventricular strain on the ECG or yeah. other yeah. physical signs that concerned you? Okay. Yeah. What about the renin aldosterone sort of studies that you do and looking for renal vascular issues? Do we have to worry about that, or is that only in a very select group of patients that you'd launch yeah. into that? Yeah.
1: So I normally I uh, would not over-investigate uh, in the first launch anyway. Mm. I normally just do that basic test and then where if a patient's on using two or three agents that's still mm. not quite getting a blood pressure to an uh, ideal kind of grade one hypertension, you still about 160, 170, a grade two hypertension, then perhaps you want to look into a secondary screen mm. and look mm. at that where is this a, sort of an endocrinological problem like pheochromocytoma? How often we seeing that? Probably yes, very rare. Very rare. But we yes. probably still do a twenty-four urine catecholamines cat- 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 and uh, mm. urine protein and things whatnot. But at the same time, that you also do a renal Doppler, make sure there's no renal artery stenosis. Mm. If there are n- normal renal function.
0: And yes, all this okay. whatnot,
1: but if you have renal impairment already, you're thinking of oh, look, is there something else or more a bad kidney problem? Yes. Okay. And also that well, not only the endocrinological side that well, we think or we worry about. At the same time, is the patient have sleep apnea? Mm. Mm. So patients that mm. were not necessary. Obviously, probably nine out of ten of a big obese patient groups that were most likely you have snore and have sleep apnea. But I have someone that you have really slim down to probably only mm. about so 67 gig kilos, but they're because of their structure of their chin mm. and jaw, they always have mm. sleep apnea, and they have family issues of sleep apnea, and yeah. they have hypertension, yes. and that's something that you should drill on a bit more, just say, is this just essential hypertension, or is mm. this
0: something else that I need to look up for? Okay, yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, Selection of medications. Ta- take me through what you're thinking is there. How how are you selecting what drugs to use? Because we've got lots of different drugs, haven't we? Totally. ACE inhibitors, calcium channel antagonists, beta blockers. Da da da. Yeah. Directs. But ta- yeah. Take us through that.
1: So normally, as I said, is a, a B C D E. So sometimes I will want to look at the medication first. That were well, are they on anything that attributed to yes. the blood pressure first before mm-hmm. I stop them? Like patient may have an estrogen, or so HRT can cause that. Patient on. A, certain sufferer you know, on uh, the non steroids mm. the colicoxate can cause blood pressure is high mm-hmm. or some of bit of like they are they have a lot of like you know nasals of a drip problem they're taking the pseudoephedrine, and they are actually making a blood pressure they say oh i keep popping pills some quadril tablets yes. They, yes and that's all can drop the blood pressure has been high and it's yeah. something that we can review the medication the mm-hmm. caffeine the alcohol intake all those things are ticked off before yeah. we introduce the medication as i mentioned that we have uh, the blood pressure tablets is A, B, C, D, E. So A-wise, that you have ACE inhibitors and ARB, mm. and also the endogen, uh, angi- uh, so aldosterone antagonist. That's the right. three A's that we normally look at. Okay. So mm-hmm. normally that, that is only suitable for people that actually have normal kidney function or the potassium are doing okay, right. and they're feeling okay, and they don't have angioedema or any anaphylactic problem mm. and things, and all, they say, so-called cough. Yes. That we're always actually laughing about but, but sometimes some of a patient group they does have problems mm-hmm. that we may use it. It's a great drug. Also, and normally uh, it's it's the most potent and and a good immortality benefit in the cardiac patient per se. Mm. They have good cardiac relaxation and all that. So I normally use ACE as my first
0: choice. Can you get a sense of how much the blood pressure is, can you predict how much the blood pressure is going to drop? Yeah. Suppose it was 160 or 100 and you introduced ACE inhibitor on ARB or whatever. Can you say, well, I'm pretty sure... Yeah. You know, not everybody, but pretty, pretty sure, sure it's going to drop by this much. Is there a figure for that? It will, do you have a heuristic, a rule of thumb for that? Yeah, probably, I think probably 8 out of 10 times that well, you probably will
1: feel comfortable that it you will you'll happen, right? And uh, the more practice or more years of medicine you're doing, you start to actually think, no, you're probably not, yes. and things are so. So normally I would say things that if you do a, a medium dose of 5 milligrams of, uh, sort of a, a cover seal, for example, you were expecting that you will drop about 10 to 15. Fifteen millimeter mercury at least. Right, right. Sometimes it may some of the people that actually can have a very potent mm. effect that That's they the actually, dropping yes, it's mm. solid blood pressure yeah. dropping. Some that can have a potent effect that actually crash their blood pressure down mm. to about 110. and say, oh look, I'm feeling very dizzy, yes. especially a very small body mass ladies like mm. they are in you know, a 40, 50 kilos, a bit mm. frail, or they have already have some renal impairment. Then we mm. say, oh look, we'll be cautious. Obviously, we know we always start off the ARB and ARB uh, and the ACE We want to make sure that repeat the renal function. GP will bring back the patient in about two weeks or four weeks time to repeat the kidney function, make sure there's no Mm. more than 30% drop of their EGFR, Mm. make sure Mm. their potassium is okay. So that's always, I do the follow up by for my GP colleagues or anyone else that we can see them more promptly to make sure Mm. after two weeks to three weeks, has the blood pressure improved? Mm. And how you
0: tolerate your tablets, And what's your kidney function like? That's the first question. Okay. Do you you have a personal preference of an ACE over an ARB? Do you you have a feeling about that or not really? Not really. I think at some point, M-
1: mainly probably in the for cardiac failure patient that sometimes that will have a much more evidence on ACE inhibitors mm. but having said that if you want to change them to a much more advanced medication like entresto, I'm not sure have ever heard of it's called a uh, stuff, uh, never, never heard of it. yeah and uh, that's also probably because they have a valsartan, and an ARB in the background right. on the one of the combinations so it's good to switch your tablets <laughs> on transition on one to another rather than you drop an ACE and then start an ARB again right. that's only reason right. most of the time I like my asymmeters right. more sort of ARB they are same group
0: Yes,
1: they have less cough of a reaction for okay. your ARB group rather than ACE. But and have a similar it... kind
0: of effect. Yeah, you... yeah. yeah, I guess it's dose dependent too to yeah. some degree. And
1: yeah. in diabetic patients, that's your. Yeah, as i be with someone who's a proteinuria already with mm. essential hypertension, always diabetic, that's highly recommended. Okay. But we obviously don't want to join a ARB and ACE because you mm. used to have a good effect of a blood pressure, but after a, probably a meta analysis that we're saying you know, mm. that look, they will actually mm. have worsened the kidney
0: function yes. and don't have extra mortality benefit. Yes. That's a watch out. That's exactly. an a 7 an ARB. Okay.
1: And then we move on on the beta blockers and the B's. Most often they were just with your metoprolol and mm. on the non-selective to your more cardiac selective like Bicol and nebivolol and things mm. whatnot. They are great drug itself. The only side effects probably if will be people have insomnia, peripheral shutdown feeling cold and cramps, okay. or get really tired. And that's are three side effects that I normally commonly see. But having said that, some people on beta blockers their uh, essential tremor fixed mm. their headaches fixed their mm-hmm. migraines fixed yes. and they say oh great drug I yeah. loved it so drug shoots some... steadily yes <laughs> exactly i also very calm gone I, to I, interview or something. Yes. I probably need i be the blockers now probably I'm yes. very anxious <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. so that's the beta blocker group okay. but at one point that we need to cautious using the calcium channel on top of it because of the two be the blockade yes. Yes. in causing some conduction delay Mm. sinus With heart, heart, block heart, or, heart blocks and yes. all this whatnot or arrhythmias as well mm. so mm. we just be cautious so be care, careful of a beta blocker plus a calcium channel okay. exactly yeah. so the calcium channel blockers are always used for people that can't tolerate beta blockers for example mm. they, they have brittle asthma mm. I think we used to actually known in medical school just say oh look uh, anyone have COPD or uh, no, asthma and things don't use beta blockers because they cause their wheeze yes but I think that's the bit. When of,
0: I was a medical, well, young trained, that always was, you oh, know, you don't, what are you doing? Don't give it that, you idiot.
1: Yes. Exactly. Or also, you don't use a beta blockers so that when you actually have an acute heart failure, you've got yes. decomposed, you're wet, you use the beta blockers, everyone will crash yes. on blood pressure. But at one point, we know that if there is no pulmonary function, there's no sort of bronchodilated effect or reversibility uh, of so, then beta blocker is suitable. I think that's one big study that okay. shows that mm. we say, look, if a patient has no reversibility, unknown brittle asthma, mm. then mm. beta Blockers are still a safe drug right okay. just trial that on but always we trial it in a small dose we yes. call us conservative you just say oh look try that you're okay then we can bump it up and teed it up from there
0: okay
1: yeah and then move out to the next that's a d uh was basically our uh self-diuretic mm. and you name it we have a lot of diuretic we can have our furosemide as most Yes. commonly used that everyone mm. just start to dry them up when they are post surgery or they'll be a heart failure, vascular insufficiency, mm. or big men just say, Oh yeah, I need a top of your flex or so. I think there's a lot of causes of pitting edema in the legs. Mm. Not really mm. clearly you it say it's heart failure, but it's easily thrown in the market of just be a fruismite And then we have our indapamide that is mm. a very old drug but yes, people yes. love it still using it. Yes. And then your hydrochlorothiazide that's the one mm. that actually have your causing a sodium Dropping off, and a lot of people that will have a UTI concurrent to on the they like just say, Oh, yeah, I got sodium of 125, 130. Mm. I started getting confused unsteady, and that's something we don't watch out when they're a bit dry of themselves. Yes. Okay. That's become another topic of your endocrinology, just say hyponatremia.
0: It's like a big not. it's a big topic, isn't it? That it one? is, yes. it is, and
1: things so. And then, obviously, we still have the others as well, like your central acting physiotens. you can have your presence that mm. well. People urologists love to use it yes. for a little bit of alpha blockade, mm. but they have a very potent posture drop. Okay. So I'm very cautious with mm. elderly mm. that people use that well okay. especially they are self-caring or at home alone. The mm-hmm. first thing that you name hear from it on the, your, your the years they have is just say, oh, he's just collapsed in the bathroom. That were when mm. a middle night go running the bath or toilet yes. for it because they have a very high posture drop component. Right. Okay. Especially you are using a non-dihydropyrimidine calcium channel blockers like your amlodipine Xanadip, yeah. All those things. They also will drop posture, drop too. Okay. Yes. So that's something we're cautious when you use it for mm. that. Mm. Yeah and that's probably all around to it some of the old drug mm. that people love to use like hydralazine that yeah. the anaesthetists love to use to suddenly mm. coming down mm. within no suffering in half an hour time or people using like methadopa that is mm. a very old
0: drug yeah that's it is much these days
1: yeah you mainly use it in pregnancy because there are a lot of drugs they can't use right. but at the same time the methadopa is worked well but it's so-called uh, i was been always told by my my cardiologist or my my teachers and master just say, look, no, dear, it's a dirty drug cutting kind of because mm-hmm. it can cause mm-hmm. different side effects that so people can have posture drop, yes. do headaches, constipation, nausea, and all that. I still see a few people, elderly patients that you use it for many many years, but there's no evidence based mm-hmm. of improved mortality benefits. so I try to script them. If I can use other tablets or so, yeah. Okay. Unless patient have a whole list of allergy or you no know, medications so or intolerance mm. problem, then I say, um, okay, mm. maybe perhaps that we can tweak one at a time and work from there.
0: Well, one of the physicians that I worked with um, when I was training in Hobart uh, used to say, you need to select a group of drugs and make them your friends. Really get to know them well, and totally. you know they become like your staple. Yeah. And you may choose things outside that group, but. In specific circumstances, just with the calcium channel antagonists, you're mentioning the dihydropyridine the group. Do you have a specific? Do you, do you? Are you concerned about what sort of calcium channel antagonist you use? Or yeah,
1: are you? Tell us about. So I suppose the, that you have more calcium selective for your uh, like calcium and verapamil. Yes. Then you're using your the di- non dihydropyridine yep. calcium yeah. channel like amiodipine and zanidip and things. Yes. I think a lot of my GP practice loved it. They are just like zanidip is probably the lowest. The most effective that you get the uh, sort of uh, blood pressure down effectively together, combined with your calcium group. Yes. Because they work very different channels, mm. and then where, uh, however, that where I think zanidip was a pick use most because they have least postural drop. Right. They Have that. Okay. The only side effects you have from the calcium channel group that part of the sort of uh, and amlodipine is about swelling in the legs. Okay. Yeah, peripheral edema. peripheral oh, yes. edema, A lot of yes. them, and also postural drop. And that's significant for those people who have bad varicose veins, they already suffer a bigger size, and you already have dependent edema in the legs, Mm. then Mm. don't start them, they'll hate you. They'll say two months later, say, Doc, I've gone for a flight, obviously, that we're now not going anywhere. A lot of them say, Doc, I go to Bali. When I come back, my legs is like giant. Yes. I hate you. Yes. <laughs> Why you take your wife done to me? Yeah. So that's always typical for that. Yeah. But in terms of more cardiac selective, or like your um, card- cardism and verapamil, uh, it's more mainly used for people that replacing a beta blockers if they can't take it. Mm. But those people have. Prince metal angina that you having vasospasm spasm right. that really need some beta block effect, they normally could use it for a okay. while. Well. Right. Those people have severe asthma and COPD, but they really have tachycardia. Mm. Their heart rate got really quick, their blood pressure have high, mm. then you tend to use them. Okay. Uh, to, to sort of help them. You uh, normally start them in the short acting first, yes. make sure to tolerate, not have side effects, because the common side effects are GI side symptoms like constipation, they mm-hmm. got cramps, they got headaches and all those whatnot that tend, and also they interact with your antidepressants and things. So sometimes it's a, a drug interaction that stopped me using that a lot more of those. So sometimes we just often try to actually use as much of beta blockers, Mm. but some Mm. certain groups of people, we use that instead. And they loved it because they have a good blood pressure effect. They also have a heart rate effect as well.
0: It's a real art, isn't it, medicine? A real art. Uh, One other question I have for you, and uh, and I've taken up a lot of your time today already, but if someone's in your rooms and they have a significant hypertensive event, what... What, sort of, what product would you go for if, you, if you're seeing a patient or perhaps they're in the ward somewhere and yeah. they've got mm-hmm. a significant hypertensive event? What drug do you go
1: for? So normally in the outpatient basis, that if their blood pressure is up to, for example, 200 and all that, or 180 to 200 or so, if they have symptomatic, unwell, well, i straight to bring them to hospital. Anyway, yes. Because you okay. can't be able to titrate it well right. as an outpatient yeah. setting. If they are well or reasonable and you feel that like this probably some white coat hypertension, mm-hmm. anxiety, if you put them in a the hospital or right, so, they'll make them more anxiety and things. I normally just give them a good softener. Uh, I will give them uh, amlodipine. Right, okay. And work more effectively straight away. And that tend to happen in wards as well. In the middle of the night, they'll get cold. Just say, doc, my blood pressure is 170. What should you do? Yes. Yes. And normally a GTN patch or amlodipine is right. more an acute setting that in the hospital that you're more likely to use because yes. that they will not have much of an effect of the kidney. yes and they can be wears off very quickly. Uh, for example, a GTM patch you can put it on, it dropped down, got better. If it's too low, you can take it off and this is fine. It's just a like kind of a band-aid for you. So make sure it's not gone too high for that because too high of blood pressure sometimes can go into palm edema. Mm. Our patient actually have that, or strokes and things are the more significant problem. And uh, amlodipine is a is, is good drug to use. It works effectively anyway. Right, and they don't have much side effects apart from you saying that hmm. the postural drop that yes. we talk about but the patient is in the hospital in bed you've got nurses look after with high blood pressure i'm not imagining they're going to run out to things so it's a good drug to use sometimes i opt to use cover seal but sometimes i'm not sure Does the patient kidney functions be okay are they known to have a no EGF only about 20 and then you giving a nephrotoxic so sometimes i just want to gauge Mm. a little bit so normally i'll do it in a much more outpatient setting that if you're i know the kidney i know the protein urea uh,
0: everything so i say look, cover still probably your best drug first before we add the other things means thank you for running through that yeah thank you very much and uh, i know you're a very keen swimmer yes. tell, tell us a little bit about that <laughs> you're we're, we're going to go off medicine for a seat. and uh yeah, this is intense uh, but relaxing what are you doing so relaxing that well for
1: the hours as well that where um, i probably go and swim and where i used to be a lifesaver under my so school years yes also but i didn't continue the license or so when you come to uni i say look too busy yes now. so still occasionally go to albert park for a swim when in uni right. time and doing things when you come to on the training whenever i stress Swimming is the best thing for sir. You did mention about ocean swimming. I think I probably still worry about the wave and the tide, sir. And um, yeah, um, not really gone around
0: to competition yeah. or such and things. I've yeah. got to get you down to the bay with me, with my <laughs> son. Vince, thank you very much for joining me. It's very no very nice for you to join. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining me in the conversation with Men's T.I. I really did find that an excellent talk and dissertation on practical approach to hypertension. do hope this will be of value to your medical practice. During the podcast series, we will be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed and maybe email to manager at gihealth.com.au.